Well, good evening. Um, before I um, share the message, thank, thanks for those kind words, Pastor Jeff. And I, I want to ask you a question, kind of in, in light of what uh, Pastor Jeff was sharing about a, something that a, a number of folks have been thinking and praying and talking about, and that's in the, in the area of just uh, counseling ministry um, within our local church. I don't know if you've ever thought of that before. That may be a, an unusual concept for you. Um, but l- let me ask you this, a couple of questions. What would, you, what would you say to somebody, somebody part of our church family? And by the way, isn't it great to be part of a church family? Amen. We, we've been blessed to be part of New Hope for the eight years that we've been here. So. But what if somebody came to you and, as part of the church family? Because we get to know one another pretty well over a period of time. And they said, hey, hey you know, brother or sister, I, I, I've been dealing with a lot of anxiety lately and I, I don't know why. Or maybe somebody else comes to you and you, you know another couple and you know they've been struggling with their marriage. It's been tough. What would you say to them? Or maybe uh, somebody may come to you and say, you know, last week we discovered that our teenager was looking at pornography. What would you do? What would you say? How would you handle that? Especially, you know, people, as we get to know one another, we, we trust confidences and we look for help and we don't know what to do with the difficulties of life. We don't know where sometimes even to reach out. And sometimes we reach out to those closest to us. And by the way, wouldn't that be awesome to be able to do that within the family, the church family? But on the other side, how many of us would be scared of that? not knowing what to say. Now, it's not that we have to have all the answers to that. But where would we start? You see, that's, that's kind of what we're thinking about in, in the area of biblical counseling. Biblical counseling is not necessarily the, that formal aspect where maybe one of the pastors is meeting with a family or with an individual. Of course, that's part of it. But you know what? A lot of counseling takes place every day within the church family. You know, we... We like to chat around, uh, you know, out in the foyer after church. Sometimes during the week as we come into contact with one another, we're sharing advice oftentimes. The question is, where did we get that from? And wouldn't it be great as a church family just to learn together and, and grow in the way we think biblically and encourage one another biblically? Now, that's a process that we never arrive at. We're, we're always learning, always growing. But, but I'll tell you what, some of the most... Sound and effective counseling has come from oftentimes, and I was a pastor for eight years, sometimes came from some wise people in the church family, living life and trying to live it biblically. So would you, would you pray and just don't know where that's going to, how that's going to develop specifically. Um, Pastor Jeff mentioned a, uh, a growth group that was kind of a, a start and, and people that were kind of interested in that. We've been having a great time uh, with that. Some great conversations. Just, just getting our feet wet a little bit. Nothing official, nothing formal yet, but something that we'd like to kind of develop. Uh, I know the pastors are, it's their heart to, to want to learn how to best minister to one another. How can we do that? Would you pray about that? Uh, how that's going to develop is, you know, this is more in the thinking and talking stage right now, but that is something that is, is on the radar. The end goal would be 
another venue for our church family to, to minister to one another as well as have a unique opportunity to reach our community. So, all right. With that in mind, with that in mind, um, let's consider our, our topic tonight. Um, this, this fits really well. This is the idea of temptation. I've been thinking about this aspect of temptation probably about uh, eight or nine months now. Um, just uh, studying through scriptures, just was, got, got very interested in this topic uh, as I was dealing, because I, 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 most of what I do is, is counseling ministry. Uh, but certainly, the aspect of temptation is, is a critical part of counseling ministry and understanding kind of the process of that. Now, you know, temptation is as old as, as human history. It's not new. <laughs> Uh, however, what's different, I think, in, in our time now, especially in this current generation, is sin has never been so accessible, so pervasive, and so acceptable. You know, it, it's, our culture is different. Now, there's a lot of good things. I mean, technology's great. I like the Technology. But you could be one click away from incredible edification and total disaster. Just one click. So it's different. It's different. Uh, and so with that in mind, what I'd like to do is consider, consider temptation's perfect storm. I, just kind of working through this and, and learning a little bit more from Scripture, I noticed and I observed something in Scripture that there are oftentimes three things that come together that form the perfect storm of temptation. In other words, these three things need to be present in order for us to actually give in and fail in that temptation. These three things. And they are desire, opportunity, and time. Desire, opportunity, and time. So let me, let me talk about these three. See if we can put all these three together. If, if, if I have desire, that's, that's, that's the number one, desire. But if I don't have the opportunity, I'm not going to necessarily give in. I could have the desire and the opportunity, but if I have no time to act on it, I'm not going to give in. That's what I mean by the perfect storm. So let's consider the first one, desire. Scripture tells us in James 1.14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own desire. Some translations use the word lust. That's accurate. Desire or lust is very strong desire. Now, this word for, for desire is also used in a positive context. It is good to want things strongly. For example, in 1 Timothy 3.1, it says, He that desires the office of a pastor desires a good thing. So that's a good thing. It's the same word for lust. It's the same context determines how we understand it. But what we see here is that this desire is very strong. It's very strong desire. And what we notice is that temptation goes after the strong desires that we have in our hearts. Now, some of our desires are just evil, all by themselves. Some of those are just, you know, to, 
to, some of the things that people desire are, are just evil in and of themselves. But here's where it gets really tricky. Not all the things we want are necessarily evil all by themselves. Take, take a man, for example, who struggles with anger. And part of the way the anger works itself out is his desire for respect. He wants respect from his wife, from his kids, maybe at work. But he wants it so much. And when he doesn't get it, you know, there's where the temptation goes after. Now, to want respect, that, that's not. In fact, we're... It's even, one, it's even in one of the one another's of Scripture. It says to respect one another. I mean, we should respect one another. But I can want something, even something that's good or neutral, let's say, and be tempted because of my desires when I don't get it to be angry. In fact, another, another way of looking at anger And by the way, anger is a universal temptation. Not all of us are tempted to use drugs. Some are. But all of us are tempted with anger. Anger is frustrated desire. I want something, and something's in the way. And you're in the way, so look out. That's that's at the heart of anger. Frustrated desire. And again, the object of the desire may not be evil in and of itself. But it's wanting it so bad that I'm willing to hurt somebody, make somebody feel bad, manipulate somebody in order that I can get that. That's what we mean by desire, wanting something so strongly. And temptation goes after that. In fact, a friend of mine who's also a pastor and an avid fisherman said, we were talking about this passage a while ago, and he says, this is, this is how fishing works. You know, you, you got the fish, you're out there in Lake George, Scroon Lake where I live, and, uh, and you're out there, and of course you got a, what do, they call, what do they call the thing that you put on the end of the line? Bait or a lure. That's the idea. There's that fish hiding behind that rock. In, in goes the lure, makes the noise, and that, that's all that fish can think of. You know, eyeballs pop out, boom, right after it, grabs onto it. That's the way temptation works. Because those desires in our, our hearts, I want that, I want that, I, you know, I get no respect in the home, I get no respect at work, and, and you kids, you will respect me. And if you don't respect me, you're going to get it. Now, they may not say it that way, maybe they do, but that's running around in the head. And as soon as you don't get it, it's like that fish, ah, boom. You go after it. That's, that's the kind of metaphor that we have there. So temptation is all about desire. What is it that I desire? Now, again, sometimes it's innately evil. Sometimes it's neutral. But what do I ask myself? What do I want so bad that I'm willing to hurt others or sin in order to get it? My desire See, lust is also um, works in a, in a lot of different ways, but that fishing metaphor is very helpful. And, and it's interesting, as beings created in the image of God, we were created to desire. 
We were created to desire, to, to have wants. To desire is, is part of being created in the image of God. It's part of being created so that we can worship God. Maybe familiar with the psalm that says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul, what? Longs for thee. That's the idea. Now, the purpose of why we were created is to find satisfaction in God and God alone for those desires. Or the way God may provide for us. You see, those desires cannot be satisfied outside of a growing relationship with him. And that's why, that's why sometimes those, those desires go haywire on us. Lust is wanting something too much. Lust is trying to satisfy the desires of my heart with something other than what God has provided. So a man is not satisfied with his wife, he looks somewhere else. And vice versa for that matter. Or we're not satisfied in, at any level with something God provides, so we look beyond even God's provision. And how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? What is the highest motivation? What is the highest drive, the highest desire that we could have in our hearts? The highest motivation is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Everything, everything we, can, we understand about the scriptures, Jesus said, can be summarized in that statement. To love God with everything we have. See, that's the battle that we face. Do I love God or do I love this thing, this issue, this whatever it is I want? You see, the, the, way, the, the only way we can overcome that is what's going to motivate me? You see, there's lots of motivations. There's lots of motivations. Sometimes, you know what? Sometimes we, we aren't tempted because we're fearful. Now, that's not always bad. That may keep us out of trouble. I'm afraid of getting caught. Or I'm afraid of somebody doing something. There's a fear. Now, that may, again, be a temporary thing. But what if, what if that fear isn't there? What if, what if you know in your heart that you can get away with it? It's probably, that's not going to be enough motivation. The fear isn't there, so, okay. That's not going to work. You see, we need, we need a higher motivation. It's my love for God. My love for God. You see, it's the higher motivation that's going to cause us to make other decisions in other places that's going to end up protecting us as well. You see, I love God too much to do this. Or, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love, whatever, I love my family too much to give in to this. I would not want to hurt them I would not, see where I'm going with this? It's a higher motivation, a higher drive, a higher desire than just whatever it is that we're facing. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. 
Love for God has to be the highest priority of our motivation, or we will go down paths that lead us astray. It's okay to fear. That may keep us out of temporary trouble, but if if that fear is gone, or we think we can get away with it, and nobody will catch us, or... That's not going to protect us necessarily. So desire. Now, we could have the desire, but secondly, there may not be the opportunity. What do we mean by opportunity? Well, Romans 13, 14 gives us some great, great insight. And this is, this is, this is good counsel. It's not just a warning. It's, it's good counsel. It's very practical. And and the Apostle Paul says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's loving God. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's here's some specific advice. And give no opportunity for the flesh to gratify its desires. And give no opportunity for the flesh to gratify its desires. What do we mean by flesh? The flesh, the oppor- giving opportunity to the flesh, the flesh is that part of us. It's that part of us because we still live in a fallen world, even as believers. It's that part of us that still opposes God. We call that the sinful nature or the fallen nature. It's that part that, you know, ah, but God, I, I, I want this. Or sometimes when we're just plain old angry with God. Why did you let this happen? It's that part of us that's still in opposition to God because we still have a sin nature and we favor ourselves. It's when we oppose God and reject his good, perfect, acceptable will. Now, let's put those two together. Opportunity for the flesh. Since, since we have that within all of us that, you know, we can be tempted just, I, I, push God off, push him aside... How do we give opportunity to the flesh? Well, this word opportunity is, has the idea of this. It's we think ahead of time about what we're going to do in the event of something happening. It's the idea of thinking ahead about something. When we're tempted, especially in those key areas where we're tempted in, we think about it. It comes to our mind a lot. And even in the moment of temptation, we think about how we can carry this out without getting caught. You know, or we rationalize. In other words, we're involved in the thought process, planning ahead how we might be able to pull this temptation off. So what he's saying there is do not plan for sin. Give it no welcome. Offer it no opportunity. Kick the sin off the doorstep so you don't let it in the house. You know, honestly, there's a lot of things that we do in our culture today that, wow, we make it easy. We make it easy sometimes. The stuff we let into our house. Think, you know, I, 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 just think about it. We sometimes, we sometimes let it in really see Temptation usually comes through the door that's been deliberately left open. You see, these opportunities are, can also be seen as accesses. 
resources. And I've counseled many, many, many young men in the area of their struggles with their thought life and pornography and all the stuff associated with that. And even for years at school, we used to have a, a firewall that would prevent a lot of junk coming through the internet. But, you know, with the data and the smartphone and all of that, some guys came to the conclusion by themselves, and, and I applaud them, that, you know what, my smartphone, through the data, I mean, one guy, he said he was introduced to pornography when he was eight years old. And that's, not, and that's less and less unusual now. And he said, you know what, I, I realized that I have just, I've just made it easy. So, will you take my cell phone, my smartphone, I, at least for a while so I can, he, he used the word detox from all this garbage, because I, I can't even get a kind of a, a ground start with, with, with this. It just hits me all the time. So I took his phone, gladly, sure, I'll keep it up in my, my drawer here. And it helped him. See, for him, in the context of his... Now, not everybody can do that because, you know, you need it for work, you need it for this, you need it for that, but he ended up not taking it anymore. He just bought a dumb phone. I mean, that, what I mean by that is that, that there's a lot of... <laughs> yeah, you could, there's a lot into that statement, but it just didn't have all the data. It just had texting and, and calls. So sometimes we have to take... Deliberate, intentional action in the areas where we make it easy for us to sin, to fall. We're letting it in the front door. You see, desire is strong. Sometimes it seems like it overwhelms us. It kind of comes out of nowhere. But if there's no access, I may not, I may not fall. We still got to deal with the heart. But again, if my love for Jesus says, you know what? My love for Jesus and my love for God makes me smart and says, this is what's bothering me? This is where I keep falling for the last eight years? Maybe because I love Jesus, I'm going to put it aside. And that's got to be the only reason. Because if there's any other reason, it's just legalism. And that doesn't help either. You know, it's, the smartphone's not the problem. This is the problem. That's what I got to deal with. And maybe I see, okay, for a while, I got to get rid of this. That's not for everybody. That can't be. But it might help. It might help some people. That's what we mean. What are the things that make it easy for us to give in to temptation? My, uh, um, are there any uh, celebrating Veterans Day this weekend? Uh, my dad, who's in heaven right now, uh, was a Korean vet. Any Korean vets here? Just okay. He he um, he, he landed. This, and I love history, so um, he landed uh, with General MacArthur in the Incheon invasion and marched all the way up north up to the Chinese border. And then the United Nations armies were overwhelmed because China got involved in the war, and and they were just as just. They just got swarmed 
Um, and, and the strategy was, as a frontline Chinese soldiers would come at you and they would, they would, you know, decimate them. The next wave would come up, pick up the guns off the dead soldiers and keep coming at you. And then armies were getting surrounded and captured. Equipment was being lost. And they developed, they developed a strategy. It was called bugging out. I don't know, has anybody ever heard that term before? I'm bugging out of here. The term actually comes from the British, um, but it was a term that was really used and actually became part of a strategy in the Korean War as a, as a way of not losing so many soldiers and equipment. And this is what they did. Uh, from, from a regiment level down to a squad level and even to an individual soldier, everyone had to have a, pl- a plan, a bug out. In other words, where they were going to run in case the, the enemy started to overwhelm them. They had to have that in their mind ahead of time. When my dad said that, I, I, came across, I thought of this passage here in, in 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overcome you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. And I thought, that's a bug out. That's a bug out. Do you have a bug out plan? Do you have a bug out plan? In other words, that's the idea of not, you know, not giving an opportunity for the flesh to overwhelm you. Because it's strong. And it feels like you can't fight it. So what's your, what's your escape plan? What's your way of escape? What's your bug out plan? What is that bug out plan? That's the way of escape. Thirdly, thirdly, we may have desire and it can be overwhelming. And we, we might, uh, you know, the, given the opportunity for sin, but then if we don't have time, we're not going to give in either. Consider Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully how you walk. The old King James says, circumspectly. That's a good word. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How you use, how I use my time is very important when I'm dealing with those key temptations in my life. What he's saying there is, be careful how you use your time. What do you do with your time? Now, this time is not chronos, like, you know, the hours on a watch. It's, it's a word in, in the original language called keros, and it has to do with seasons of opportunity. Seasons of opportunity. You know, you have opportunities coming up this fall to do this, 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 and this. Or this is an opportunity of lifetime. <laughs> it's the way some people sell us things. It's, it, it's, an oppor- it's time, but it's a certain season of time that has certain things about it. Like, like a student committing a whole year to go and study the Bible. That's an opportunity of a lifetime. How, how one uses that time is very interesting. 
So we have those. How do we steward those? How do we use those? How do we use the time? You see, King David, King David got in trouble when he sinned against Bathsheba and murdered Uriah to cover up his sin. The scripture says this about the use of his season of life. When kings were out fighting war, were supposed to be fighting wars, King David was at home. And it was not a good thing at all. He was not using his time wisely. In fact, it says, it says there in that passage, um, therefore do not be foolish. That word foolish literally means without thinking. Without thinking. In other words, it's foolish not to think about how you're going to use your time. That's what's going to get you in trouble. In other words, be intentional. Be intentional. It's not like, oh, well, we'll see what happens. Bang. We get hit. Because we're not guarding our time. How do you use your time, our free time? Are we intentional? Are we purposeful? It can't be random. It can't be hit or miss. It can't be impulsive. Now again, there's desire, there's opportunity, there's time. I call it the DOT, the Department of Transportation that drives us to temptation. You've got to have all three. If I have desire, but I don't have the opportunity, I'm not going to act on it. I may have desire, and I might have the opportunity, but I'm just too busy. Or, you know what, I've been using my time a lot differently now. You know what? Ew, I don't want to do that anymore. But this asks another question. I asked another question, and, and that is this. So what should be my goal when it comes to temptation? What should be my goal? Now, I hear a word that's used a lot, and I understand it, and I appreciate it a lot, but I think it gets us off focus. It's the word victory. Victory is not the goal. Victory is not the goal. Here's why. I think victory is actually a byproduct of something else. Victory is in there, Jack Wurtzen, the founder of Word of Life, used to say and sign all his letters on the victory side. That's really good. We're already on the victory side. What about the day-to-day? You see, the problem with just having victory as the goal, I think, I don't know about your mind, but my mind is victory means it's, I'm, I'm, I'm the ultimate winner. It's over. No more fighting. We're victorious. That means no more fighting. The war's over. That's not true. We're going to win this war, but there's a lot of battles to be fought. We're going to win. See, the problem then is, spiritually what happens is when, when victory is the goal, when I don't have victory, when I fail, oh, I failed. Maybe God has failed. Maybe this is too much. Maybe I'll never get over this. It can, be, it can just take, it can take the life right out of the struggle. I think there's a different goal that, I, again, it's getting from the scriptures. And the, the goal is this, vigilance. Vigilance. The goal is vigilance. I think through vigilance comes victory. 
Vigilance. What do, what do I mean by that? What do we mean by vigilance? Well, vigilance is constantly attentive and responsive to signs of opportunity and danger. Constantly attentive and responsive to signs of opportunity, like we were saying, and the danger. That's what vigilance is. So, where do we get that from? Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow all the issues of life. Guard what? Guard your heart. Guard it. Set a guard. Why, why do I want what I want? That's, that's, that's what guarding... Why do I want this right now? Why am I... You see, temptation sometimes reveals, and I hate to say this, some of the ugliness of our heart. Our hearts can be ugly at times. So put a guard on it. First Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Whew. Man, that's scary. I remember one time we were, I was, we were probably, I think I was a senior in high school. There was a bunch of us we were, I lived out in the Midwest in Chicago. We were, there's a forest preserve we used to like. It was a river and everything. We went there one time, kind of in the evening, just exploring and just, and all of a sudden, we heard something in the bushes. Okay, there's like six or seven of us, you know, guys, tough guys, no fear teenagers. And we heard this, what was that? I don't know, what was that? Oh, six or seven of us, we took off running three miles straight. We didn't stop. <laughs> so we thought something was stalking us. I mean, knowing what I know now about the forest preserve, it's probably a possum. <laughs> There's something about that. Now imagine if that was a lion. My, uh, my son uh, and daughter-in-law live up in Igerna, and they have a trail cam. And uh, their trail cam revealed two bears uh, in there. That's, that's scary. That's scary. And I think this metaphor is meant to scare us because this is how the, how the, how the, how the enemy works. You see, the, Satan's strategy is like a lion hunting its prey. He isolates the prey. That's what the lion does. Isolates the prey from the rest of the herd. Taking on the herd is dangerous for the lion. You realize that? It's dangerous. Some of us have seen some of those National Geographic specials, right? So what the lion does is he isolates the weaker one. This is important. We are most vulnerable to temptation, yes, after great victories, but also when we are suffering. Because when we're suffering, sometimes we feel very alone. When we've been hurt, it's easy to, to isolate ourselves. It's easy to isolate ourselves from the rest of God's flock. Nobody understands. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in that place where you're suffering, you're going through a difficulty, and you really question whether or not anybody understands what you're going through? 
I understand that. It seems so unique. The hurt is so painful. Nobody understands. And sometimes, sometimes that, that turns even to frustration and anger. Nobody really understands. And then we do things to isolate ourselves. And that's when we make ourselves vulnerable to the enemy and fall prey to his strategy. We feel alone like no one understands what I'm experiencing. And sadly, in our isolation, we become easy prey for the enemy. First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Wow, that's, that, that's intentional. Prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded. Sober-minded means being careful what you allow to control your thinking. Here's what gets us into trouble. Sometimes the desire is so strong or we feel hurt by something, we play a video loop over and over and over and over and over again. And it just drives it deeper and the hurt feels worse and worse the more we play that. Peter says, be sober-minded. Be careful what you allow the DVD of your mind to play. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does he say to do? He says, don't think about now. Think in the future. Now isn't what we get. We get Jesus. One day, We will be like him, for we will see him just as he is. That's the revelation of Jesus, is to be like him and to no longer have to endure the sinful world. So be aware, be careful of what we allow to control our thinking. And there's many, many other passages for example, schemes and designs of Satan, 2 Corinthians 2.11 and Ephesians 6 talk about it this way. So that when we, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Be aware of his strategy. You see, at the heart of every sin, here's Satan's strategy. At the heart of every sin, starting in Genesis 3, to today and until Jesus comes at the heart of every sin is a lie told a lie believed a lie lived out and then of course we got to cover up that lie or cover up that sin at the heart of every sin that's what, that's, that's what Satan says you need this I mean Satan tempted Eve by saying has God really said what's God holding back you're going to be like God Go ahead. You want to be like God, don't you? Why is God holding out? Something wrong with God if he's holding out. Now, that's my paraphrase, but that's kind of the dynamic that was taking place. And that's exactly how we're tempted. It goes after our desire. You want this, don't you? It's okay. Here's the one-two punch. Here's the one-two punch. Use a boxing illustration. First, the devil throws kind of a right cross. It's okay. You need relief. Go ahead, act on that desire. You can ask forgiveness later. Bam! How many of us have believed that lie? We go back. Okay, we're, we're trying to get our bearings again. Here's the next lie. 
Loser. You're never going to get over this. Stop trying. Here comes the left uppercut. Boom. And we're out. Those are the lies. Those are the schemes. There's always a lie told. Think about the last time you sinned. What lies were either you telling yourself or were you... See, the lie can come from without, the world, the devil, or it can come from within, the flesh. But sooner or later, we believe that lie. And then we act on what we believe. So that's the schemes of the devil. Ephesians says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. So our goal is vigilance. Being on guard. Being aware of the enemy's schemes. See, that leads to victory. Byproduct. Victory is a byproduct of vigilance. You see, we can never let our guard down. That's why we need one another. We need one another. We need that encouragement. We need somebody to pick us up sometimes and clean us off. Because we've been stuck in it. Finally, 2 Timothy 2 gives us these words. So flee youthful passions. This is good counsel to young people, but I think it applies to all of us. Youthful passions. You see, there are passions and desires that are characteristic of being young. But I love the advice. Not only do we run away from this stuff, we pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. You see, we run away from something to something else. We don't just run away. A good friend of mine, probably about 20 years ago, young married man in seminary, he's uh, in the public library doing some research. Um, He's there every day. Um, And there was this young lady that was kind of kept walking back and forth and finally she, she talked to him for a few minutes and the next day she he, all of a sudden he was aware of what she was doing she made she made a pass at him and he literally he literally stopped he, had, he said he had his laptop in his hand he dropped it turned around, ran out of that library, ran all the way back to his apartment, to his wife, and told his wife what happened. Was he tempted? That was right in front of him. See, he, he ran from it, and he pursued righteousness. You see, temptation is not just avoiding. It's running and it's not just running. It's running. It's pursuing righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. And hopefully, our church family is a safe place to run. Amen. We're not going to judge one another. No. We're going to love one another. 
we're going to understand because you know what? We're running too. <laughs> we're running from stuff. We got messes all over us that need cleaning up. You know, it's one beggar showing another beggar where the food is. I think uh, Charles Spurgeon said that. That's good advice. That's what our church family. See, this is the place. This ought to be the safest place to talk about all the struggles that are out there in our world that we come across every day. Those things that are characteristic of our time right now. We need one another to do that and to help one another. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you. Oh Lord, we thank you. For the fact that God, one of those passages there in that first Corinthians 10, 13, Paul gives us those wonderful words that there's no temptation that's common to man. Lord, we're not alone in the temptations, no matter what it is. We're not, it may be awful, we may be ashamed, but God, we're not alone. It's common, it says. And Lord, that's, to me, that's a word of hope that I'm not alone. And that God, you are faithful. You are faithful. Lord, whatever it is that that sin that so easily besets us, those temptations that we deal with every day, the variety of them, it's not just the lustful passions, but, but the temptation to be angry. Lord, even the temptation to worry about things we can't control and, and just panic and, and just allow that to consume us. God, it says you are faithful. With every temptation, there is a bug out. There's a way of escape. And that, God, you will be there with us to carry us through. Sometimes our temptation is suffering itself. Pain. Physical pain. Emotional hurt. Thank you, Lord, for that promise. Your faithfulness. God, may we cling to that. You are faithful. Lord, give us eyes to see the way of escape. Help us to be diligent and intentional in being aware of the schemes of the devil. Not about anybody else's life, but let's, Lord, start out with our own life. And Lord, help us to be there for others too. Or to run to others. Because we know that sometimes we just can't handle it by ourselves. And that's not bad. That's not weakness. That's wisdom. We thank you for all the resources that you give us in Christ. And the resource you give of one another. In Jesus' incredibly wonderful name we pray. Amen.